Hey, this is our second week in a sermon series going through the book of John. Um, I'll explain it more first. I just want you guys to pray with me um, as we pray. Uh, I'd, I'd ask that you really um, just have your hands open to God and say, uh, God, show yourself to me today. Uh, this can be a moment in our lives that we look back upon for uh, the rest of eternity and say, this is a day where I saw Jesus clearly. So pray with me. God, in terms of eternity, this is just a moment. This is smaller than a blip on the screen. And yet our moments are so passionate, sometimes so powerful, so profound in the lonelinesses that we feel, the joys that we feel. And so now just uh, put this guard of protection over us that we can hear from you and we can see you clearly. Nothing changes us like that. God, we want to love you. Show us how to be faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. At the Refuge Church, all of our teaching comes from the Bible, from the Word of God. And so I invite you to uh, follow with me by flipping through your Bibles. If you aren't familiar with the text, uh, even though the scripture is going to be on the screen, I encourage you to have it just so you can get familiar with it. Uh, John, the sermon series, the big title over it is God in the Neighborhood. And this is what we mean by that. Each of us, you and I, we come from very different places. Poor and rich families, safe neighborhoods and dangerous apartment complexes. Busy inner cities and quiet country towns. Even coming here today, some of you guys might live in the neighborhood, some of you might have driven from Port Orchard or Seabeck or, or places that might be more of a small country town feel. Some of us come from Christian families, others come from families without any faith background at all. Since our stories are so unique, it can seem sometimes like God is too out of this world or unrelatable to be believable. If you've ever wrestled with these thoughts, the book of John is for you. If you've ever felt like God is a little too far away, to be real, John is for you. At the end of the book, he sums it up saying this, these stories are written that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This sermon series has helped us to understand the story of the God-man Jesus. God isn't just a thought. God isn't just a thought. He isn't far away. God became human and moved into our neighborhood. And by putting our full trust in who he really is, we can have real and eternal life. By putting our full trust in who he really is, we can have real and eternal life. So today, I want to create some of the foundation for understanding who God really is as we see the person of Jesus but also, I want you to understand who you really are. Not just who God really is, but who you really are. Um, I pulled up a, a document on the 
website for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which, as you can imagine, is super interesting. (laughs) The document, it was released by the Chamber of Commerce because they want to help people know how to market to certain demographics. And the demographic in this article is millennials. I've been doing a lot of reading on millennials this week. I am a millennial. Um, It's from people in their mid-teens to about the age of 32. And though I look super young or very old to you, I am in that age range. Um, this is, it's interesting. What they say is this. Popular opinion is that millennials are more caring and community-oriented and politically engaged than previous generation. But a psychologist they interview said that is not correct. She found that today's youth are more interested in extrinsic life goals and less concerned for others and civic engagement. We are less concerned for others and civic engagement. They are described as overly self-confident and self-absorbed. 75% of us millennials have social networking sites and I would probably say 25% then dishonest about their involvement with social networking sites. <laughs> there is a trend towards, and this is important, a trend towards personal branding, which on the surface appears to be self-promoting. Looking a bit deeper reveals a method for young people to identify their passions and determine the most expedient path forward forward rather than having others set their path for them. So rather than listening to what other people have said or what other people have done, we want to make the road for ourselves. We want to pave it. We want to go that way. And we want to be proud of it. And we want to self-promote what we're doing. Um, This idea of of personal branding. (laughs) You might not immediately understand what this means other than maybe looking at the fact deep down, and I don't know for everyone, but I felt this profoundly myself, the desire to exaggerate my good qualities and minimize my bad qualities. To exaggerate my good qualities and minimize my bad qualities. And so for a lot of us, we have, we have grown up learning to, um, to edit photos, to filter photos, to discard bad photos of ourselves, to put up clever quotes that either we thought up or we plagiarized from somebody else so we would look clever and people would think that we are amazing. And it can, it can seem innocent, but what it is is it's promoting a version of ourself that we think is likable and acceptable and that people will want. This came home to me powerfully uh, two years ago. I was speaking with a friend who called me. Um, she was a really good friend. And, uh, you know, you can't help but follow people's lives sometimes if you get on Facebook and you just, you see all these amazing pictures of where they are and what they've done. And this person in particular always looked like she was living the dream. Like she, she had the best things going on. She had amazing friends. And so the call I received was really surprising. And that call was her saying that she was at her end. She'd had suicidal thoughts. She'd got involved in a relationship that had become abusive. She'd done things that she never thought she would be doing. Her, her life in her eyes was dark. And yet for the world to see, she was at the top 
of, of her world. People could envy her. We've tried to maintain self-perceptions, uh, perceptions of ourselves. And, and this isn't just our generation. You can do it by gardening. You can do it by talking about certain magazines or books, um, the way you, um, the car you drive or, or the clothes that you wear. I think the challenging thing about our generation is that we have, in seeing the dishonesty in past generations, we have tried to be a more honest generation, and so we use big words like authenticity and community. And yet we are no more authentic than any generation that's come before us. Um, we don't know how to do community any better than any generation that has come before us. Sometimes maybe we're just a little more honest with our despair when we decide to step past the promotion of ourselves to reveal maybe a little window into our souls and say, I have no clue who I really am. And so the big answer, the big question that we're going to look for an answer for today is this, how can I find out who I really am? How can I find out who I really am? Um, this might seem like a, a crazy question to come into the second week of a sermon series in John, but, but why I want to talk about how can I find out who I really am is because we're going to look at somebody who found out, and, and their whole life was dominated by a view of Jesus that transformed them. That's why the big idea is we find ourselves when we find Jesus. And that might seem oversimple to some of you who are wrestling through, who am I? But, um, but hopefully we'll be on the same page by the end of the sermon. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 1. We're going to look at an amazing character named John the Baptist. Just to catch up on who this guy is before um, we look at John 1, um, 19 through 36. Um, before we really get to meet Jesus in the book of John... We've heard about him in John 1 through 18. The word God became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. He came not with judgment, but he became with grace and truth. That's what we looked at last week, but we haven't met the guy yet. The first person we meet is a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, again to catch you up, he had a miraculous birth. Oftentimes we think of Jesus having the miraculous birth. John the Baptist, an angel came to his dad and said, John's going to do incredible things. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And his dad said, I don't think so. He goes, this ain't going to work out. I'm old, my wife's old. And Jesus says, or the angel, sorry, the angel says to, to Zechariah, because you haven't believed me, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to talk until John comes. And so, and so this, this created this hubbub because Zechariah was mute. He couldn't talk. John was on the way, miraculous birth. And so this swirling around him is this expectation of who will this, who will this young man be? It wasn't, it wasn't the scandal that Jesus was. Mary was a virgin, so there was a scandal. It was just this miracle that a woman in her old age could have a baby, and that baby was John, so who would he be? When John grew up, he became weirder than all the other kids. He dressed in weird clothes, and he ate weird food. It said he dressed in camel skin, and he, he went to the desert, and he ate, he ate locusts, which is like grasshoppers, okay? And he dipped it in honey, and, and that wasn't cool back then. He just did it uh, because he was on a budget. I, I don't know. Um, 
it doesn't explain why he just went to the desert and did these things. But he, but get this, like, and it says he he was out of the ordinary, right? And so people probably made fun of him. He was probably a reject for a while. But he spoke with such power and conviction that people started listening to him. He spoke with such power, faithfulness, conviction that people started listening to him. And so people started going out and, and believing what he said. And so they would get baptized for the forgiveness, that, that they would confess their sins and be baptized. And they did that because John was preparing the way for Jesus. So he was helping people see that they had issues. <laughs> that they had sins that needed to be taken care of. And so, so John would baptize them in preparation for Jesus, the one who would come, as we see, to take away the sins of the world. And so, so we, we drop in with this, this brand of John has been created, not by John himself, but, but people around him. They've created him into a superstar, right? The super prophet or the you know, super crazy guy in the desert that maybe, maybe he's the one. And so that's where we find ourselves here in John 1. John 1, 19 through 36 reads as this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. Hear that? But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify, this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with the two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. If you're following along in your sermon notes, this is the first point. This is the first thing we're going to look at. John does not fail to find his purpose. John does not fail to find his purpose. This is what I mean by that. John did not fail. Where I get the word fail, this is important, is in verse 20, it says, he did not fail to confess. John did not fail because John had the opportunity, listen to this, John, did, John had the opportunity to take credit for what was happening. 
Yeah, so the whole camel hair thing, I just thought it would, you know, like he, he could go into explaining his strategy. John had the opportunity to forge his own path like we want to do. Jesus, I'll take it from here. Right? He, he was meant to prepare the way, but look, they're offering the way to be before him. Are you the Messiah? Well, maybe. <laughs> he, he had the opportunity. John had the opportunity to say, look what I have done. Look, I've been faithful. You guys doubted me, but look, I've said it all along. And now they come out offering him a place of position and a place of power. But John did not fail to find his purpose because he understood and upheld the true meaning of life. And this is a big statement. He understood and upheld the true meaning of life. I've been reading a book that um, I made fun of in college. Um, It's humbling, the things you learn as you grow up. Um, Purpose Driven Life. Um, Someone's like, you were an idiot in college. Um, There was parts of me that probably were. Uh, so I've been reading this book, and, and honestly, I've just been chewing on it. I've, it's been uh, something that has helped tremendously. And, and I found it helpful because the very first line, um, the first line is a line that I have been wrestling with and finding a lot of life in. I've been training for an, an ultra marathon, and, and you get a lot of time in your head when you're training. <laughs> Uh, like hours on the road, right? You're just running. And this line, literally for this long run, it was like, I felt so much joy. I was like energized and felt so much joy at the end of it because I thought of this over and over again. And the first line is this, it is not about you. Amen? It is not about you. He goes on to write this, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and opportunities. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And John understood this. So when they came and they said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not. He didn't fail because he didn't focus on himself. That's it right there. John did not fail because he he didn't focus on himself. Um, This is rich in in scripture, people who we look at and we celebrate. So I I want to read you uh, Philippians 3, Paul, this guy whose life was transformed. Paul who sought so many great things for himself. And Philippians 3 says this, Aaron, do we got it for the screen? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever was gained to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul's no longer focusing on himself. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, because Christ is more valuable than all things, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. See hear that focus in him? It's the focus John had. Um, we're going to look at the next one in Samuel. 
Second Samuel, this beautiful verse in the message, it's translated this, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. God made my life complete because I placed all the pieces before him. It's this strange translation. We're not going to get into it. It's a strange translation if you read Psalm twenty-two twenty. But as I read this, I thought, yes. <laughs> That's so true. As we come to God and, and all these vast pieces of our life, all the portions of our life that we have, and we can say, oh, look what I've done for myself. Right? The longer you hold them in your hands, when they start breaking or something happens, you'll have nowhere to go. And, and I want you to think about it maybe in terms of your own life. Maybe you've done some things that are pretty cool, but they started hard. Maybe you started a job and you felt like you were clueless about it. Like, I don't know, first day of work, you probably just feel like foolish and like you have no idea what's happening, right? But then you've been, you're faithful and people start telling you, man, you're a good worker. And you're like, yes, I am. And then, and then, right? and then they, they start complimenting you and, and they're like, you know, you are the future of this organization. You're like, yes, I am. <laughs> and, and the more and more you succeed, the more and more, right? You don't focus on the purpose of your life. Maybe you just focus on what you can be. The path you can forge for yourself. It's very subtle. It can be a very subtle shift. It just starts with a little pride. A pride in something that's good, that you are hard and you did well. But what I want to encourage you to do, like John did, is make your life complete by placing all things in his hands and letting him show you your purpose. The second point is this. John is free then to talk about his purpose. And that, that comes again from uh, verse 20 where it says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. So, so not having to self-promote. This is so cool, guys. Not having to self-promote. Look how good I am. John was free to be honest with him. Am I the Messiah? Oh, no. Oh, no. I am not the Messiah. And that's the first thing. When he says, I'm not the Messiah, this is this was like the salvation message to me a couple years ago. 2007 um, was a really hard year for me. It was that summer. I'd never experienced depression like I did in the summer of 2007. And the the cool thing is, is there was actually a song God gave me. Um, I rewrote the tune for it, and without Nate and I even talking, that's the first song we're going to sing. It's called "A Love That Will Not Let Me Go." Um, powerful song that, that God kind of gifted me with that summer. Um, the other thing he gifted me with this was, was this. I am not the Messiah. Before that, I had a lot, of, a lot of success. Actually, that summer someone said, Daniel, your life's been like, like Joseph. Everything's like been good for you. And so what are you going to do when something not good happens to you? My whole life people were, gonna, were telling me that I would like be awesome, I would succeed, I was going to be the next greatest thing. And all of a sudden I had this tremendous blow literally to my pride. And so coming back and hearing I am not the Messiah was the best thing ever. I have a Savior. I'm not the Savior. And that was the good news to John. Um, So he knew what he was not, but then he knew who he was. He was the voice, it says, the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the path for the Lord. He was the one preparing the way for Jesus. He wasn't Jesus. He was the one that would prepare a way for Jesus. 
he accepted that responsibility and found out what that meant. It would mean him looking radical and to some people crazy. A lot of people wouldn't care. And then people, because he got popular, would jump on board for a little while. But still, that wasn't his satisfaction. That's not who he was. He was the voice of one calling in the desert. The incredible thing about John is this. Um, I think it's a great reminder of of who we are. In Luke 7, and we have the verse here um, for you guys. Luke 7, at the end of John's life, he was thrown in prison. Um, He had been super popular, and then things went south for him. And at the end of his life, even though he'd been so faithful, it's this reminder of why we don't make people our gods. (laughs) At the end of his life, John realized how much he needed Messiah. In prison, it says, John's disciples told him about all these things. They had to tell him because he was in prison. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord and said, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Then the men came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's kind of sobering, isn't it? (laughs) The voice of one calling And I I want you to realize this in that Jesus sent words back to John, words that would encourage him, words that would affirm that Jesus was the Messiah. But John was not a self-made man. And neither can you be a self-made man or a self-made woman. You see, this is why we only find ourselves when we find Jesus. Because who you are will constantly throughout your life be called into question not just by other people but by yourself sometimes your worst critic won't be those who dislike your picture on facebook it will be that voice inside your own heart saying you're a loser and we need to go to jesus and say are you the one the posture of john's life was this and it was beautiful in john um one twenty seven. He says, the one who comes after me, I'm not, un- I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. In John 1.31, he says, the reason why I come is to reveal him to Israel. The reason why I come is this, one reason, and that is to make Jesus known. And he found his purpose in that. From seeing how John found his purpose, um, I want us to turn and see how John showed us Jesus. Turn and see how John showed us Jesus. And this is really important. Um, So John takes the eyes that were on him and he focuses them on Jesus. He takes the eyes that were on him and he focuses them on Jesus. And literally, this is what he says. He says, look! Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, um, first... Again, I want to point out, like, that would sound crazy to us. Like, what if, uh, <laughs> you know, what if someone came in and I was like, look, Johnny, the goat, who, you know, like, like it just seems weird. He's comparing a man to an animal. And so I want to give you the context of why that happens. Some of you in the church are like, been there, done that, like, I know this. But, like, remember, like, not everyone grew up in the church. The idea of a lamb of God could seem crazy, But the people who heard this would have a context for that. 
So I want to welcome you into what they would have heard when they heard Jesus called the Lamb of God. The first is this. The biggest event in Israel's history, literally, biggest event was when they were freed from Egypt. A couple million of them were brought out of Egypt. And before that happened, God said, everyone's going to take a lamb, bring it into their family. They're going to raise it for a couple days and then they're going to kill it. Right? Animals were hurt in that process. And then they were going to put blood on the doorpost and... And God who was coming through was going to pass over those homes because they put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. So most important event in Jewish history, they would think of that. What does it mean the lamb of God if the wrath of God passed over because of the blood of the lamb? Second thing they would have thought about was this, and this is amazing. Not only the most important event in human history, but the most important person in Israel history was Abraham, right? The father of faith. You might be able to make a case for Moses, but we're going to stick with Abraham this time, okay? So Abraham was literally the the father of faith. Probably the best known event of Abraham's story is when he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. He's asked to sacrifice his son, right? I mean, like we're going from killing lambs to sacrificing sons. Like, crazy story. And so we're going to take a look at the story itself and see how that provides a context for us understanding. Look, the Lamb of God. Genesis 22, 6 through 8 says, Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to him, Father, yes, my son. I mean, this is incredible. This intimate moment Yes, my son, Abraham replies. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac says, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Where is the lamb? There's a a commentary I read on this. It was beautiful. It, It put this whole thing in context. It says, It says, look, the Lamb of God summarizes the entirety of Scripture. From the very beginning, we have asked, where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? Who will step in? Because I'm the one getting sacrificed at this point. If we don't have one, so where is the Lamb? And so, when John says, look, the Lamb of God, they're going to remember these two events. In Isaiah 53, Guys, this is amazing because then this predicts who our Messiah would be. Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Check this out. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. And the sheep before his shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. This is what they were thinking. Look, the lamb of God. They would think of the Passover lamb. They would think about Isaac's question, where is the lamb? And Abraham saying, God will provide a lamb. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The one who came would be like a lamb. The lamb of God who 
takes away the sins of the world. And so John's focus, John's whole life was focused on this, and he invites us into this focus to look. Our big idea, if we find ourselves when we find Jesus. When you take your, your looking off yourself and your Facebook profile, or when you come into a big room and the first thing you think is, what will people think about me? <laughs> Don't think about that. Look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Where is the Lamb? Who will cover me? Who will save me? Look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who we look to. And, and I just want to kind of finish the story for you. Um, I said that look the Lamb of God sums up the entirety of scripture, and it does. In Revelation 5.12, Revelation 5.12, this is the words we see. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all glory and honor and power and strength. Worthy is the Lamb. Because we're speaking after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus at this point, worthy is the Lamb, he has saved all people. By his blood, by his wounds, we are healed. So how, how do I find out, really simply, how do I find out who I really am? How do I discover who I really am? It's by discovering who Jesus really is. Where is the lamb? Who will cover me? It's Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, um, I think this translation is beautiful in the message, and so that's why I decided to use it. It's very accurate. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. Guys, this is incredible. We get to live our lives out in the same way John discovered and lived his life out. You can find your identity and discover your purpose in a God who thought of you way before you ever thought of him. Who thought of you way before you ever thought of him. At the very end, he says, and is working out, uh, this overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. So what he's doing, track with me here, is that He's inviting you into something that is far beyond the little scope of your years. Uh, you, you could be alive for another week. You could be alive for a hundred more years. And the fact is, you're still so short here. Our life is so brief. And James, it says, like a moment that appears, like a fog that appears in the morning and then vanishes. So what he's welcoming us into is as we look at the sun center our lives on the Lamb of God. He's inviting us into his eternal plan. Guys, it's not about you. That's really good news. It's not about you. So with me, let's turn our eyes on Jesus. Let's humble ourselves like John. I'm not even unworthy to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals. Right? Like it's all about him. I want to live for him. I want to get caught up in that. His eternal plan, his eternal purpose for me. When we find Jesus and we find out who we, 
he truly is, we find out who we really are too. That's good. Pray with me. Oh God, we want to see you. It's so hard to see you sometimes because we look at ourselves. We wake up in the morning and think sometimes it's purely about me. And we dress and so people will be impressed by us. We, we try to get everything looking perfect so we can look perfect. And yet all along you're like, it's about, it's about Jesus. And you invite us into that incredible freeing life. God, may we not fail to acknowledge Jesus. May we be free to acknowledge Jesus. God, free us. We pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen.